Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the College Hoops Daily Podcast presented by Bad Friend Sports. My name is Zach Crow. I am your host, and this is the show where we talk all things college basketball from now until the end of the final four. The road will end there in Atlanta. And we have another pretty big show for you guys today as we are going to be talking all things college basketball. And the one thing I wanted to focus on to start off this show is the game last night in Los Angeles, California, between the two LA teams, number eight, UCLA, taking on the unranked USC Trojans. And I'll start off by saying this, right? This was a big game for the reason of, A, UCLA, they're coming off uh, a loss in Pac-12 play. That's actually their first loss of the season in Pac-12 play. That came on Saturday in Tucson against Arizona. And they were coming off that loss going on the road. By the way, this is the third game of a three-game road trip for the Bruins. One of the tougher three-game stretches you will see in college basketball this season, by the way. Three straight road games at Arizona State, which UCLA was able to win last week at Arizona, and now at USC. And this was a huge game for the USC Trojans and Andy Enfield because this was really going to be USC's last shot unless they see UCLA, of course, again in the Pac-12 tournament, which is always possible. But in the regular season, this was going to be USC's last shot of adding that quality victory that will really enhance their NCAA tournament resume. And you USC was able to do that, and it's crazy because the game really flipped kind of like the way it flipped in the first meeting between these two teams at UCLA. The Bruins were the better team by far in the first half. They're outscoring USC 37-25 to after 20 minutes, and I know the game didn't end the way UCLA wanted it to, and they have plenty of things that they have to correct in order to get to where they want to be, but David Singleton is the best shooter in college basketball. I haven't seen a better shooter this season in the entire country than David Singleton. He finished with 14 points yesterday. He shoots four of nine from three, but he's one of those guys where every time he shoots it, I think it's going in. And in a season where Amari Bailey, the very highly touted freshman coming out of high school for UCLA, he has shown flashes, but he's just uh, now coming back from an injury The point is Amari Bailey hasn't necessarily been the player everyone has expected him to be just yet. There's still a chance that he gets there. But David Singleton has done a really good job for UCLA, picking up the slack and being, again, one of the better uh, shooters in the country. I would say the best. But UCLA is up 37 to 25 after 20 minutes of play. And then for USC, a flip switched in the second half. They outscore uh, UCLA 52 to 27 in the final 20 minutes. Boogie Ellis was the leader in this one for USC. He finishes the game with 31 points on a very efficient, by the way, nine of 17 shooting from the field. He shoots three of nine from three. And it's crazy because these two teams met a couple weeks ago at UCLA. And it was a very similar game script, right? In that game, UCLA started on fire. They're up by 18 points, 44 to 26 at halftime. And then USC outscores them 32 to 16 in the second half. The Trojans were actually able to take the lead in that game, but UCLA was bailed out by Jalen Clark, who hits a massive three. Re-sticks and Waters was the one in that game in UCLA that gave UCLA the lead for a brief second or USC the lead for a brief second, but UCLA was able to come back. And this win is so important for USC. And I'll tell you guys why. USC, first of all, this is one of the more underrated programs in college basketball over the course of the last few years, right? They were going to make the NCAA tournament 
in 2020 when they had Onyeka Okongwu, who's now starring in the NBA for the Atlanta Hawks. Like they were going to make the NCAA tournament that year if the pandemic doesn't wipe out the rest of the season, right? So that's A. The next year, they had Evan Mobley, who was one of the best players in college basketball that year, a guy who was a top five pick in the NBA draft. And it's not like Andy Enfield wasted him, right? That USC team went to the Elite Eight. They beat Kansas in the NCAA tournament in the round of 32 by a large margin. I'll give you that exact score, actually, because it was bad. The 2021 round of 32, USC beat Kansas. Yes, this is a real score. 85 to 51. They beat Kansas by 34 points in the NCAA tournament. That's how good this USC team was. And they won another tournament game after that. They went all the way to the Elite Eight in 2021. The following year, last year, they were able to get back to the NCAA tournament after they lost Evan Mobley, a top five pick in the draft. And this year, they lose their first game of the season to Florida Gulf Coast. That was actually the place Andy Enfield used to coach before getting to USC. But that game was bad. If you're USC, that especially to start off your season, that's obviously a game you cannot lose. But since they lost that game, A, UCLA hasn't lost a home game all year. They're 10-0 at home since. And really, since that game, they were written off. And since that game, UCLA has or USC has played like an NCAA tournament team. Now, you go back to the question of, are they going to make the tournament? And if USC would have lost this game to UCLA last night, obviously it would have looked bleak. But at the same time, USC did have some blown opportunities in non-conference play. They lost a very tight game to Tennessee at the Battle for Atlantis. They lost a very tight game to Wisconsin at the Battle for Atlantis. But in those two games, and really for the first half of the season, USC was playing without Vincent Iwachuku. And this is such a great story because Vince had a very similar situation to the NFL's DeMar Hamlin happen in practice where Andy Enfield needed to grab the defibrillator and a couple of first responders really did a good job of helping Vince at the scene, and he was okay. But Vincent Iwachuku had a very scary situation with his heart, and it was really a question of if he would ever play basketball again. And he is now back healthy on the floor. He played 17 minutes last night for USC. He was their top contributor off the bench. Those 17 minutes were the most minutes he's played all year. And as time goes on, you're seeing A, just how good and impactful he is, and B, how much better USC is getting thanks to Iwachuku in the lineup. Their head coach, Andy Enfield, has said multiple times on the record that if they had Vince the entirety of the season, he believes that USC would be a top 10 team. And keep in mind, I know when he first says that, it might sound a little crazy, but USC has been, again, One of the better programs in all of college basketball over the last three years. They made the Elite Eight when they had Evan Mobley, and that was only two years ago. And USC, with Vince out there making an impact, is a significantly different team than they are without Vince. The other thing that really stands out to me about this USC team is they have a number of guards, and this is very valuable in the NCAA tournament, not something that every team that's going to be participating in the big dance has. They just have a number of guards that could go out there and make plays. We saw that with Boogie Ellis last night. He drops 31. He's looking like Steph Curry. Drew Peterson, he had 16 points on a very efficient 6 of 10 from the field. Peterson has had some big games before, and he scored in double-digit games in each of USC's last five games. He scored in double digits 
in let me do uh, some quick math here eight of UC, uh, USC's last nine games including a high in that stretch against Arizona State on the road on Saturday night like USC they went on the road to Arizona State and won that game by nine and honestly it wasn't even that close so like USC has had a really good last seven days where they've collected two just monster wins for their NCAA tournament resume going at Arizona State and winning and then winning at home against UCLA last night in comeback fashion. And the guards on this team are unbelievable. Ellis Peterson. I also like Kobe Johnson, the younger brother of former Duke player Jalen Johnson. And when you have him in the mix, you have Reese Dixon Waters, who I still believe in. Like He has really struggled, especially shooting the ball. Recently, he shoots one of three from deep last night, two of six from the field overall. But he's only playing... 14 minutes in this game, which is something you understand considering how badly he's struggling. But at the end of the day, Reese Dixon Waters was supposed to be a breakout candidate for this USC team. He's clearly in a shooting slump. I still think he's going to be able to get there. But this USC team, I think they should be an NCAA tournament team. And the win over UCLA is going to help them in a big way. You look at the upcoming schedule for USC. They will have a weekend off coming up in the next few days, which is key. That's very important. But then they will host the Washington schools, go to the Oregon schools, host Cal and Stanford. They will then hit the mountains. And then USC is going to have a home game against Arizona and another one against Arizona State to end the season. Man, those two games might just might just be what determines uh, if USC makes the NCAA tournament or not. In terms of UCLA, Obviously struggling in the second half like that, that's never a great look. That's never something you want to happen. I still love the makeup and the components of this team with a senior experienced point guard in Tiger Campbell with a clear star player in Hawkes, a really good shooter in Singleton. Jalen Clark, he struggled last night, only three points, five rebounds for UCLA, 0 of 7 from the field, 0 of 2 from 3. That's honestly part of the reason why USC really came away with this game in the second half because I don't think US or UCLA has many more important players uh, than Jalen Clark. Really Clark elevating to this superstar status this season I think has really helped this UCLA team really get there and when Clark is at his best that's when UCLA is really at their best as well and also Amari Bailey. Uh, He had some moments last night. He is back from the injury, and he's going to get more and more time uh, as he gets healthier. He played 23 minutes, contributing 11 points. Had some big shots in this game as well. Made his only three. Uh, I think Amari Bailey really becoming that guy that could get a bucket when UCLA needs one. That is really – that's what's really going to put this team over the top, in my opinion, if they want to get – to their elite self. This is a UCLA team that still has a lot of the same players that were there when they went to the final four back in 2021. And they really pushed Gonzaga to the limit, a very good Gonzaga team that won because of a crazy, crazy buzzer beater hit by Jalen Suggs. And I think UCLA, they are a team that needs to be accounted for. And it's hard in the Pac-12. We kind of spoke about it with Houston the other day they're hard to trust because you don't really know how much value and how much stock you could put into their wins, considering they aren't against the best competition. And I'm not saying that Houston is a fraud by any means. It's just hard to know just exactly what they are when you can't see them against the level of competition that you see with so many of these other teams. And the PAC 12 is kind of like that when you have games against the Washington schools, Oregon and Oregon state have really been down 
uh, this season. Stanford, Cal, like there are just so many games in the Pac-12 where, yeah, they're conference games. They aren't going to be easy. You expect a legitimate fight, especially when you're UCLA, the clear top of the league. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be playing against these teams in the NCAA tournament, right? You're going to be playing against some of the best teams in the country. And our guy, Jamie and Christian said it on this show the other day, a lot of the tournament is just matchup based. You need to make sure you get those right matchups and take advantage of it, but really good job by USC finding a way to get the job done. I'm still a believer in this Trojan team. I still think they're going to hear, hear their name called on selection Sunday. And that would be the fifth straight NCAA tournament that Andy and or fourth straight, I'm sorry, that Andy Enfield and his team would hear their name called uh, USC had some talent, uh, but they couldn't really get over the hump in the Kevin Porter era, Jordan McLaughlin, Elijah Stewart, like that team had some dudes, Chemezi Metu, but Andy Enfield has done a really good job turning that over. And I am a believer in USC. And as for UCLA, I'm still a believer in them as well. This is the team I actually picked to win the national championship in the preseason and, uh, yeah, that's not something I would back away from yet. There was one other game in the Power Six I wanted to get to last night. That was Michigan State and Iowa at the Breslin Center in East Lansing. And I really like this Michigan State team. And I think we saw last night that having a healthy Malik Hall makes a huge, huge difference. It was interesting because we didn't even really have word that last night Hall was going to be coming back, but he warmed up, gave Michigan State 25 really good minutes off the bench, finishes with 11 points and played really good defense in the final possession on Chris Murray. And Tyson Walker, A.J. Hogar, Jaden Akins, it's interesting. They only combined for just under 40 points in this game, but or just under 30 points, I should say. Again, not math doing that quickly on here. Not really my strong suit, but those three guards for Michigan State, I think, could put this team over the top. All three of them could make extremely difficult shots. I love Hogarth's toughness and aggressiveness, and it's interesting because a lot of people gave Tom Izzo some slack this offseason for not fully embracing the transfer portal, and I saw both sides of the argument because I really like this top six for Michigan State, right? Walker, Hogard, Akins, Joey Hauser had some big shots in this game. Sissoko, he had 10 rebounds in this game showing his toughness. And then Malik Hall, I even like Pierre Brooks and Cooper and Holloman, the younger Michigan State players off the bench. But when you look at this Michigan State team, I feel like they're missing one piece from really being elite and great. But this Spartan team is going to be able to to win a lot of games. And I was impressed with their toughness last night against Iowa, just a back-and-forth game. Aaron Euless with 17 points for the Hawkeyes. He was the best player on the floor. Rebracha gave them some really good minutes. He played 38 of the 40 minutes in this game, something you don't always see from a big man. Chris Murray played all 38 minutes as well. That's Looking at this box score, that's something that really stands out to me. Euless, 35 minutes. McCaffrey, Connor, 37 minutes. Chris Murray, 38 minutes. Rebracha. 38 minutes and I understand they're missing Patrick McCaffrey hopefully that he uh, comes back as soon as he's ready uh, and and good and feeling good but when you look at this Iowa team that's something that really stood out to me a lot of minutes for the starters and unfortunately they couldn't come away with a victory in the end but I'm in on this Michigan State team I think the Big Ten right now is a little hard to judge it's a little hard to evaluate considering we have a clear best team at the top in Purdue we have a clear worst team at the bottom in Minnesota and really besides those two teams I think everyone could really beat everyone anytime they play any given night you have team teams like Rutgers and Indiana and Illinois 
even if you want to put Michigan State into that category that you want to put towards the top, but it is so hard to to know what you're getting. There isn't a lot of consistency between the teams in this league. Michigan and Nebraska, I would say those two teams aren't really trending and looking like NCAA tournament teams right now, but you have Northwestern right on the bubble. Wisconsin, they're a tournament team, but I feel like I want to see more out of them. Ohio State, I think they're much better than what they've shown so far, but they need to prove it. Like There are just so many question marks in the Big Ten right now, and the crazy thing is I'm not even confident that I could say we're going to get answers by the time we get to the NCAA tournament. That's how jumbled this league is. Even Penn State, I say it every time I talk about them, but every time I watch Penn State even, I'm impressed by them. I think Micah Shrewsbury has done a really good job over there in State College, Jalen Pickett, just a baller. So the Big Ten is probably going to get nine, ten teams in the NCAA tournament again. It's going to be interesting to see if they could have some success after really disappointing over the course of the last two NCAA tournaments. Purdue is really the first team you think about uh, that happening with last year when they lost in the Sweet 16 to St. Peter's. Ohio State, they had the early exit as a number two seed a few years ago. Iowa didn't make the Sweet 16 either of the last two years when they had really good teams, people that, that a lot of people were picking them to go to the Final Four. So the Big Ten and how they do in March, that's going to be a big, big determining factor just how good this league really is. Michigan, they had another tough loss to Purdue last night. That's what I mentioned about them and, and their struggles. But Zach Eady, he's hard to stop. And Jet Howard was out for Michigan in that game, which is unfortunate. I do think they are a significantly better team, obviously, with Jet back on the floor. But the Big Ten, every time you think you know something about it, you just really know less. That's really the best way I would describe this conference right now. But a good win for Michigan State last night. I really like this Michigan State team. There aren't – it's funny. The two teams that won last night in the games we're talking about, they're similar a little bit in this sense. They aren't very deep, but they have very good guards, and they're well-coached. Michigan State, Walker, and Hogard, and Aikens, and USC, Peterson, Boogie Ellis, Kobe Johnson. You hope Dixon Waters could get back there. I would put those teams in a similar category, maybe a little bit off the radar, but because of their guards, I think they could do a good job and win in March. To wrap up the show today, I thought I should give some thoughts on the SEC Big 12 Challenge. Yes, that will be taking place tomorrow. And honestly, throughout the college basketball season, there are very few events I look forward to more than the Big 12 SEC Challenge, just considering the fact that it does take place in the middle of conference play. So we get to see teams go up against other teams in different conferences. And that really gives us a little bit of a litmus test to see who's really good, who isn't, who is good enough to win games in the NCAA tournament against teams playing a different style of play? And while I know other coaches might not necessarily love this idea of it taking place in the middle of the season, as a fan of college basketball, I think the Big 12 SEC Challenge is great for the sport. And every year I just get really excited for these games. Now, the one game that everyone is looking forward to, number nine, Kansas, fresh uh, going through a three-game losing streak. They'll be going on the road to Rupp Arena to take on Kentucky. And it's interesting because for the majority of the season, really going back to when the season started, Kansas, even though they lost so many important pieces from their national championship team, right? They lose Abaji, they lose McCormick, they lose Remy Martin, they lose Christian Braun. And even without those guys, Kansas got off to a really good start. They started the season 16-1 and and looked like, at one point, really the clear top team in the sport. You look at Kentucky, they did bring back some pieces from last year's team that did earn a number two seed in the NCAA tournament. But 
their season got off to a really bad start. It seemed like every time they played a big-time opponent in a big-time game, they would be flat. They didn't show up. And now the tables have turned a little bit. Personally, I don't know how good Kentucky is, but they did exactly what they needed to do following that shocking road win against Tennessee. That was a win straight out of the Calipari playbook, a game that really no one saw coming. And they parlayed that momentum, beating Georgia, beating a very good Texas A&M team at home, and then going on the road to Vanderbilt and winning. That's a place where historically in the past, Kentucky has had some trouble, especially against Vanderbilt, whether it's on the road or at home. And now here comes the Loomis test game at home against Kansas. And it's interesting because the Jayhawks, I was down on them going into the season because of all of those guys that they lost, but they did. They do have right now arguably the best player in college basketball in Jalen Wilson. And even during this losing streak, he hasn't been playing his best basketball, but he's still given them some really good performances. The freshman Grady Dick has been much better than I've expected. He dropped 24 in the loss to Baylor on Monday night for the Kansas Jayhawks. But really besides those two guys, Kansas is missing a little bit of a scoring punch. And I love Dewan Harris. I think he's a winning player at the point guard position, but he played 37 minutes on Monday against Baylor, only scores two points, has four assists. KJ Adams only had four points, and I love KJ's game. And I think if he was like 6'10", 6'11", he would be the guy to be next in line in that David McCormick and uh, Udoka as a boost, as a Buki and Perry Ellis group, but he's just not big enough. So when I look at this Kansas team, I think they could cause – or Kentucky could cause some matchup problems for them. I think when you look at this game for Kentucky, it's really just a litmus test game. How legitimate has the work they've done over the past few weeks been? And for Oscar Shibway, he's going to have a massive opportunity to take advantage of that. Kansas-Kentucky, that should be a monster game. And keep in mind, Kentucky went into Fog Allen Fieldhouse and blew out Kansas last year. It's crazy because really after that game, the two teams' seasons kind of went in different directions from there. Kansas winning the national championship, Kentucky losing in the first round of the NCAA tournament to St. Peter's. We also have Texas and Tennessee. Going to be a great game here. This is now the second year in a row Rick Barnes will be coaching against his former team during this event. Last year, Texas and Tennessee played a great game, a classic. Texas ended up winning uh, last second win. Tennessee had a ball, had the ball with a chance to win it. Unfortunately, they couldn't get it done. But now this game is going to be in Knoxville. Really, Rodney Terry and Texas have been playing pretty well since he took over. They lost that first game at home to Kansas State in Big 12 play. But since then, they're 4-1. and one. So Texas 4-1 and one in their last five games. Uh, two of those wins have came on the road at Oklahoma State and at West Virginia on Saturday. This Texas team still has the talent. I need to see them in more big games to really make like a, an, an appropriate evaluation. I think Rodney Terry, considering the circumstances he's been in, has done a really good job. But the question I have is, this Texas roster and team is still really talented, but are they going to be able to get anywhere close to what we were expecting them to be in the preseason, one of the best teams in the country. And you got to give them credit because even without their head coach, they're still fighting and clawing and competing at the top of the Big 12. They'll be going on the road to Knoxville, taking on Tennessee. Tennessee continues to play really well. They're one of Ken Palm's favorite teams. They have one of the best defense in the country. And the question is, can they score enough? Because the one weakness this Tennessee team has is do they have that one guy that can take over a game and get you a basket when you need to. But you also have Arkansas and Baylor. 
That should be a really good game. Arkansas was able to get back in the win column a few times over the course of the last few days, beating LSU and Ole Miss at home. Next two games for the Hogs will be at Baylor hosting A&M on Tuesday before they go on a big road trip to South Carolina and to Kentucky. That game at Kentucky, can't wait for that one. You also uh, look at the Big 12 SEC Challenge. You have Iowa State at Missouri, number 12-ranked Iowa State, number 2-ranked Alabama going to Oklahoma as well. So really looking forward to these games. Really looking forward to another phenomenal weekend of basketball because this Big 12 SEC Challenge, again, I'll say it, it's one of my favorite events to cover during college basketball season. Seeing these teams in real games with real opponents as a real test, but the opponents are not in your league, uh, that's not an easy thing to do and deal with. But if you're trying to win a national championship, it's a necessity. So I just wanted to say, again, guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode of College Hoops Daily. We'll talk to you guys soon. Everyone have a good one.